Welcome to the Salty Club podcast. I'm your host, Caitlin Creeper, and this is where I interview inspiring creatives, game changers, and adventurers. These people are doing work and life on their own terms in all sorts of different ways. My hope is that it gives you that little inspiration you might be needing to take some risks and forge your own path. So let's do this. Nikki, thank you so much for being here today. I'm so stoked to have you and your expertise and your passion with us. Just thank you so much. Yeah, you're welcome. I'm happy to be here. Could we start by introducing yourself to our listeners, like who you are, where you are and what you do? Yeah, so my name is Nikki. I am a photographer and writer primarily, and then I'm also a certified marine litter expert and that just involves a lot of advocacy for the ocean and um, working on solving the plastic pollution crisis. I live on Vancouver Island so for those of you who are surfers I am below Tofino in a town called Souk. Nice and when did you start getting into this work? So probably my entrance into it was gosh, 15 years ago. And that's when I first started free diving. And that was my first time, like I'd always been around and on the water, but that was my first time really looking underneath and like what is on the ocean floor. And it turned out a lot of our garbage. Mm -hmm. (laughs) And so the free diving club I was involved with, they would do these cleanups. And for anyone unfamiliar with the sport of free diving, it's it's like scuba diving, except it's breath hold. So that made free divers really helpful for cleanups because you can go up and down and retrieve like several things at a time versus scuba divers. They have to kind of like pick stuff up in a bag or like use a float to get it to the top. So we would do these cleanups and it really just showed me how much people were still treating the ocean as an away place. Like, oh, we can just dump stuff and forget about it and we would find like intentionally dumped things like hot water tanks or pieces of cars that people just like walk to the end of a pier and thrown off and then of course like just the stuff people lose like sunglasses and their fishing line and so it kind of introduced me to the problem of like our impact and what's intentional and what's not intentional. And then the more I started to learn about it, the more I just learned about other land and sea sources and all the ways that our waste and plastic specifically makes its way to the ocean. Mm -hmm. And as water people and water women, why should we specifically, you know, care about ocean plastic pollution? Yeah. So something that I learned about on my journey when I started getting involved with the organization called X Expedition is that plastics and the more specifically the toxics that plastics are made of really affect women's health because a lot of them are endocrine disruptors. So this messes with um, our hormone system. So it can cause infertility problems. It can also cause autoimmune disorders. And then there's a whole host of health issues for men and women alike that have been linked to these toxics. Um, But specifically, 
women pass down what's called their chemical body burden onto any children that they carry or nurse. So it's, it's not even just affecting us. It's also affecting the next generation. And we see this in marine mammals as well, which is pretty, um, pretty scary place to be. A hundred percent. How do they get into our bodies? So they get into our bodies a lot of ways. So even through what we drink, what we eat, what we breathe, Ingestion is something that we are starting to understand more about. And a recent study showed that we are consuming as much as five grams of plastic a week. So about the size of a credit card that can come from the food we're eating, especially if we're eating seafood, it can come from our food that's been in plastic packaging. Um, And then nanoplastics have been found in our water. They've been found in soft drinks, beer, all that kind of stuff. And then through breathing in anytime we're wearing synthetic fibers, or even just if you have synthetic fibers in your home, like that's, that's what dust is made up of. And we're breathing that in all the time. Oh, wow. And then Mm. it's, it's not necessarily that just because it's getting into your body, like you might pass it naturally. But what can happen is that it can translocate from your gut and then get into other tissues in your bloodstream. And that's where the science is really trying to hone in on what is the bioavailability of the plastic once it's inside of us and how much of it is needed to start seeing these problems. Mm -hmm. So it just seems like it's everywhere, literally down to the water we drink. So what can we even start to do to start to eradicate it? Is that even a possibility? I think that it is a possibility to an extent. There is so much, obviously, in our environment, our closets, our homes, our food already. But we can be mindful, especially with our food, like that you are storing your food in glass containers. Um, You're not reusing any single-use plastics because single-use plastics is a big one. And I know that people want to reuse Tupperware or forks because they, they think that they're giving life to this product and that's great, but these items weren't meant to be used over and over again. So they break down faster. And so just like not storing your food in an old margarine container or something like that. Mm, Okay. But then, so there's these ways that we can avoid plastic in our personal lives. Um, it obviously depends where you live, what your financial situation is. Like there are a lot of barriers there. So what I try to encourage people to do is stop plastic at the source. So wherever you live, what is your local government doing about single use plastics? Is there a ban in place? Is there a ban coming? How can you add your voice to that movement? How can you make sure that you know, these big companies like Nestle and stuff or are going to have to be responsible for the end of use of their product. And yeah, just thinking, what is the source and how do I intercept it from even becoming a problem in the first place? Mm -hmm. I'm wondering, like, have you ever become burnt out in your activism work? Oh, yes. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, (laughs) I have gotten better at it like I've learned more how to be preventive in my own life and that definitely comes back to spending time in or around the water and really just 
going, even if I'm just going for a swim and like re-regulating my nervous system and just having that decompression time. But I mean, we all have weeks where things just pile on top. And especially if I'm really focusing on some environmental issues and I'm writing multiple articles at a time, like it can lead to my own eco-anxiety. And then that feeling that I think we all get sometimes where like, I just want to turn off the news and put my phone mm-hmm. somewhere far, far away. And mm-hmm. so, how, so what are some things we can do besides regulating in nature for that eco-anxiety? I know for me, like becoming a mother, there's that whole big thing about, well, to put it blatantly, like why even bother having a kid when it's all going to shit anyway. Like that is some things that I've been told It's some things I've even thought before I had my baby. Uh, what is your advice for some people who are like thinking they might want a family one day or they might want a baby or they have a baby and they're worrying about what kind of world that, you know, the, the next generation is going to inherit from us. Yeah. I, so I don't personally have kids myself, but friends with kids and, um, environmental writers who've talked about this subject, I think the biggest thing is they always say to look on the side of hope. So knowing that you are going to bring a kid into the world or or that you already have a family and what you want their future to look like. A lot of times I think of my own nephew and I'm like, I want Logan to be able to swim in the ocean. Like I want him to know beaches. I don't want climate change to take away all of our beaches with rising seas and thinking about what world he is going to grow up in and how I can make that um, as as least impacted as possible by our consumption and the problems we're causing. Mm -hmm. But Mm -hmm. I definitely think just even for your own eco-anxiety or whatever you want to call it, just knowing that you are taking actions, that you're taking steps I think that already helps you feel a little bit more positive versus that it's something overwhelming or out of your control. But I do advise people to pick what you can work on. So it could, it could even be something like invasive species where you live, like pick one thing that's local that you can take action on. That's works with your life, fits into your schedule, and then you will be able to make it work for you and not have that sense of like, am I even making an impact? What can I even do about this issue? Mm -hmm. Definitely. And I think that's a really important piece is like, you can't do it all yourself and you shouldn't expect yourself to do it all yourself, right? Totally. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's really important. Um, you touched on something and I just want to talk about that for a bit is you said you want your nephew to know beaches. And sometimes I think perhaps people don't realize it's quite funny to go from eco-anxiety to talking about this because usually it's the other way around, but I feel like why not start like from a place of hope and then fully understanding, you know, the gravity of the situation. Is it really at that point where the next generation might not be able to even enjoy the beaches we enjoyed? Yeah. So there's, There's a great book called The Uninhabitable Earth. It is um, a bit of a depressing read, I will say that. But it's very informative in terms of what does our future look like at one degree of warming? What does it look like at two degree of warming? And what does it look like at three degrees of warming? 
So it gives us a spectrum of the fallout effects of the climate crisis. And yeah, one of those is that sea levels will rise to the point because beaches take so much time to form geologically with erosion um, that basically the ocean will just be covering beaches. Mm -hmm. And then what will happen to waves and everything? I don't know. (laughs) (laughs) I don't know. Like I, I imagine new breaks will form as they, you know, sandbars shift and all of Mm -hmm. that happens, but yeah, it's, it's not going to be the same ocean we know today and sitting in on a conference last year that was one of the big things this oceanographer stress she's like we don't know what's happening we don't have all the answers all we know is to expect the unexpected and that we are seeing changes already and we're just going to see more changes to come yeah definitely and that's it once once we've done it we can't go back so yeah 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 Yeah, I'd like to talk a little bit about, um, for example, in places like BC or Australia or in the States, there is a certain privilege that we have in being able to choose glassware, not glassware, or, you know, to buy higher quality, more sustainable items or, but there are many, many parts of the world where that's simply not a choice. And especially for where I am in Guatemala, and I spend a lot of time in El Salvador as well. I do see the physical litter as such a problem. You know, you go to any beautiful waterfall, you go to the sea, you go anywhere, there is just so much trash. And part of me feels like um, I have seen people come here, say foreigners come here, and it's sort of like, well, we need to educate them. They need to be educated. But part of me feels like I think there is an acknowledgement about how much in a way that like we're traveling, right? Like we're starting to get on planes again. We're probably own a lot more than a lot of people. So I guess, how can we talk about action in appropriate spaces? You know what I mean? In terms of like, what are some of the social imbalances that Mm -hmm. lead to? Yeah, so a huge one is um, if you're gonna be traveling somewhere, be aware, is there a waste management system? Is your, pre- is your presence putting pressure on that? How can you not put pressure on that? Is your presence causing hotels or um, tour companies having to import plastic products because that's what you expect, you know? And so I think it's as, you know, if you're traveling for surfing or whatever, it's just being aware of where you're coming from and how people might be trying to cater to you and making your presence as not impactful as possible in that way. So it's tough because a lot of this stuff also comes down to like drinking water, like the countries Mm. that you can't drink the water and because you're not from there or, or where nobody can drink the water. And then there's having to use plastic water bottles. But I personally, wherever I'm going, like will educate myself ahead of time and then just try and have the least impact as possible. But it's also about knowing what your own country is doing with their waste. And are they imposing their waste on other countries because it's cheaper or 
Um, we can't process it in country. And how is your own nation like taking responsibility for your waste system? Mm -hmm. I think that's really important because a lot of us travel when we think of beach cleanups and beach cleanups are a big thing and for sure they're helpful, but that ties back into what you said about starting at the source, right? And knowing your own country and just because we can't see it around, why can't we see it around? Where is it going? Because we're not taught that and we don't know that and we're not encouraged to ask these questions. Yeah. One thing too is um, like back to climate crisis and how this plays into it. The co-founder of X Expedition, her name's Emily Penn, and she talks about this a lot um, when she was sailing around the world and she kept seeing these island nations that suddenly had to rely on plastic packaged food because of rising sea levels or their soil becoming too salty to grow their own food. And some of these nations had never had to use plastic before. So there is no waste management system. They, they don't have the awareness of recycling or what do we do with it? Like that it doesn't biodegrade. And it, I think it just all comes back to like your privilege and thinking beyond your scope of impact in your, you know, your own life, whose life am I affecting by the lifestyle I'm leading and what can I do to change it? A hundred percent. Can you talk a bit more about what you guys do at X Expedition? Yeah. So X Expedition, they are focused on microplastic research voyages and their whole thing is making the unseen seen. So that extends from, you know, nano microplastics in the water to the women's health issues, to women that are working in STEM fields, and then also other male dominated fields like photography and videography and general storytelling and media. Um, right now, because of COVID, the actual voyages have been put on hold, but they are doing some online programming and virtual voyages and stuff like that. So they're still working on the education piece. It's just the, the actual physical sailing piece has paused for now. Okay. What, what's a virtual voyage? How does that work? <laughs> so that normally, cool. yeah, <laughs> on a typical voyage, what would happen is you would go to a place where you're going to sample for nano microplastics. And this is done through a lot of different contraption, but there's a mantatrol, which is the main one. And along the way, you would work with the local communities and NGOs in the area to learn about their communities, plastic impact, like what is contributing to the plastic getting into the water in their area? Because of course the people on the ground are always gonna have that deeper sense of knowledge. So they're mm -hmm. still connecting with those organizations to the places they had planned on going. And so you can learn about, say you were meant to go to Guatemala. <laughs> <laughs> You know, you would still have an educator from there speaking to the people who are going to sail there and talk about what the issues they're facing are. And it just gives people better understanding of the global problems and the different ways all of our communities are impacted. Like my community might be really impacted by fishing gear, whereas yours might not be. Mm -hmm. So can anyone get involved with learning about this through Expedition or X Expedition or what would you recommend? Yeah, I believe they're still taking people for virtual voyages, but their website is just xexpedition.com. It's expedition spelt with two X's. 
And yeah, just following them, even on social media, they always have great content going up and they have something called like marine litter local expeditions. And yeah, there's a ton of educational information on there. Nice. And you also just made your own workshop for us as well. That is live right now. Can you talk to us a little bit about that and what people can hope to learn through doing this workshop? Yeah, for sure. So as an ex-expedition ambassador, um, I am taught what we call the sea to source exercise. So you'll find that in the workshop as well, along with some other exercises that will help you understand where the plastic is coming from. And the, the exercises are meant, you know, I'm not going to give you the answers in it because I don't live where you live. So it's meant to just lead you to how, okay, how can I figure this out on my own? And so we cover some of the broad issues and environmental and health impacts, and then you get the tools to figure it out for yourself. How can I solve it based on my skill set? How can I solve it based on how my community is being impacted? And then what are some of the really common misconceptions? And I say in the workshop, those are important to me to cover because so many of the misconceptions about plastic pollution we hear are meant to divide or shift blame or responsibility or make us think that basically either it's on the individual as a consumer or it's not our own country's problem. Well, I mean, I think one of the biggest things there, I could be wrong, but it's that whole thing of refusing a straw, you know, and it's like putting the onus on the person that you have to be you know, and it is, and it is that division thing. You see someone in the cafe with a plastic straw. It's like, is that what you mean? Well, sort of. So a lot of the times, so if your government doesn't want to take action, right. Then they might have messaging about how, uh, consumers can reduce their plastic, or they might really push recycling, even though only a certain percent of, of your municipal recycling is actually getting recycled versus working with um, the corporations and being like, no, we're going to, we're going to ban single use plastics Mm -hmm. in Canada. Recently, our government came under a lot of pressure by plastic lobbyists because uh, the Canadian government moved to classify plastic as a toxic substance, which, you know, will then impact what it can be used in. A dude doesn't need to have warning labels. Like there's all this other stuff around it, which hasn't really been shared with the public yet. But yeah, they faced a lot of pressure from plastic lobbyists. And, you know, there were a lot of people who make money off plastics, not wanting to see it go through. Uh And that's, I think, where you start to see this this messaging. And I don't think that people carry it on meaning to, but it just becomes like a social thing where it's like, yeah, zero waste. Everyone can go zero waste. If you're not going zero waste, you don't care. (laughs) Mm -hmm. Yeah, exactly. The straw thing is, I think, always an interesting thing to talk about because when we talk about reducing plastic or what can we cut out right away, straws were that item that for most of us, unless like you have an accessibility issue or, uh, you know, that you really need a straw, then it's a completely unnecessary item. (laughs) You know, like we can, we can drink out of glasses without, (laughs) so (laughs) yeah, 
when we talk about ways to reduce plastic overall, it's like, it's one of those low hanging fruits. We can stop using those very easily without involvement from government, without having to see this big shift in our economy or our lives. Um, but unfortunately, I think the straw kind of became a bit of a symbol where one of those divisive things, like, I don't know if you've ever heard people who say, you know, if you drive a vehicle, then you can't care about climate change. Uh-huh. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. Like, oh, <laughs> you're yeah. just taking some surface face version of it. But yeah, I think the straws, they did the movement a lot of good, but yeah, unfortunately also yeah. saw some backlash from it. Yeah, I think that's a really important and it's a discussion that could just go on for a long time because it's really complicated. But I think that's also really important to notice where are where are people like dividing or categorizing themselves or demonizing certain groups of people when, like you said, the, the best way is to be turning towards the government and really, you know, I think that's a really important distinction to make. Yeah, in your um, body image workshop, there's a question that you asked, like, I can't remember your exact wording, but basically, like, who is profiting off me feeling this way? Mm -hmm. And I think we can also do that with our beliefs around any climate issue or plastic specifically, like, Mm -hmm. who is profiting off of me thinking it's my responsibility alone? Or... Mm -hmm. Or separating the community or turning us against each other, right? Yeah. Who is profiting off that division. I think that's really important. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Can you share some of the most inspiring things that you've seen in your time as a plastic pollution activist? Good one. (laughs) Please tell me there's something. (laughs) There are, you know... I draw a lot of inspiration from the people around me that I've been work like fortunate enough to work with, especially on X expedition, because what they do is bring a team of multidisciplinary women together and then you're all learning from each other. So as a writer, I was teaching about storytelling and how can we engage the public? How do you hit on your key messages and stuff like that? Whereas someone else who works in waste management was teaching us about that and just the ability to learn from one another support one another and then even on some of these remote beach cleanups which are always pretty emotional because you are in these remote pristine places with you know no humans living there and you're still seeing like so much waste Mm -hmm. and it can be overwhelming and just to like gather around the fire at the end of the day on the beach and, you know, have conversations and talk about processing and, and seeing how much people care and how much time, energy, uh, you know, emotion that they devote to it is really what inspires me. And just knowing that all those people are out there as well. And I'm like, I'm not working on this alone. Like there are a ton of people with their own skills and their own sectors working on this too. Mm -hmm. And I think that's really important. And you touch on this in the workshop, you actually have an activity around this in the workshop, which is 
defining what your skill is you know we don't all have to become stem experts and but it's like you said you're a writer you have that ability to evoke feeling and to connect and to share a story so you're a storyteller and then there's other people like you said who are experts in waste management or this or that and I think that's really important is like you can do it as yourself this is something as yourself what you're good at you can use this skill to help you know I think that's really important as well. Definitely. And I think it just takes some of the pressure out of it that Mm. you have to become someone else or suddenly learn all this new knowledge or skill set. And you really don't. Like I chose to pursue my certification in marine litter um, through the UN Environment Program. But even myself, especially as a writer, there's so much research that I have to do. And there are times where I'm like, oh, you know, this would be so much easier if I was a marine scientist, because the base level of my understanding would be higher. Mm. But I am a really good researcher. So, (laughs) you know, and there are already marine scientists out there studying this and that are Mm -hmm. providing all these reports and studies for us. Um, And then so taking this course really solidified that for me, I think, where there is quite a bit of science and you know mathematical equations and stuff within the course and just how much I did not enjoy those portions (laughs) (laughs) I was like yeah this is not where I'm meant to be like I can I can make it work and I can figure it out for the purpose of you know this assignment but it's not it's not what lights me up and I think that's what's important and that's what helps you avoid that burnout is when you are working on an issue from an area that lights you up Mm-hmm. definitely yeah Nikki thank you so much for this conversation I know I kind of just lightly jumped around on a bunch of issues because the idea was to kind of just get people thinking get people excited more you know I think there's a lot of people who didn't know just where to start and they want to be a part of the movement for ocean plastic pollution and that was kind of my intention is just to lightly jump around and invite people to go further after this interview this is just the the starting off point so we've lightly touched on it here and there but what would you recommend people do next after listening to this interview definitely take the workshop um and then yeah just If you want to learn more, I'm also the communications manager for an NGO called Drop the Plastic. And that's a really good website um, for resources. And just to start understanding the problem more, you can also follow us on social media. And same with X Expedition. There are some great other organizations out there and you might have a local one as well. Um, And that's included in the workshop too. I've listed some people that you can learn more from. But I think the biggest thing you can probably do is just start noticing, just start noticing where plastic is in your life and where you are seeing it. And the more you notice, the more you're going to be thinking about it and thinking about solutions. Yeah, definitely. And finally, is there anything else of anything we've said today that you'd like to add? I would just like to add that I know it seems overwhelming, but I am optimistic. And I hope that listening to this and taking the workshop that you become optimistic too. And that at the end of the day, I just want you to feel empowered to make good decisions and have your voice heard and advocate for the ocean and advocate for your own health. Amazing. Thank you so much. 
The Salty Club is your online optimized wellness platform for adventurous women. For $9.99 a month, you have access to surf-inspired workouts, yoga classes, guided meditations, recipes and nutrition guides, workshops, classes and interviews just like this one. Visit thesalty.club. That's thesalty.club.